Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Now, back to your tech report. Our, our next guest is, is Mike Knoop, the co-founder and president of a company that I am intimately familiar with, but I, I know that a lot of users out there may be hearing about you for the first first time. Maybe, maybe, Mike. Uh, Mike Knoop, co-founder and president of Zapier. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, great, great to uh, be here. Thanks, Mark. It, it, it's fun to have you on. When I got an email, um, you know, in, in my endeavors and all these you know, tech reporting and conference conversations, I use so many different services and so many different companies, and I and I think, oh, I should interview this company and that company. But I don't know why it never occurred to me. Hey, I should reach out to you guys and and, and talk about you. I guess because I assumed everybody in the world uses you guys and everybody uses Zapier and connects. And and here I am. I get there. this pitch of this this press release. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fun and, and totally selfish because. You know, as much as I know I'm educating our audience and I, and I hope to give you guys great exposure and, and get you some new clients by having this conversation, but I just want to geek out and talk to you about, about the company because um, in your own words, okay, in your own words, so without me coloring this because I could probably talk about you guys more than sure. you can. Um, tell us about the company. Why was it founded and what do you do? Yeah, so uh, Zapier is a um, <clears throat> tool to sort of uh, integrate and connect software that you use generally at work. Um, we support over 4,000 types of software that most modern day sort of knowledge workers tend to use on the job. And sort of the idea is that you can sort of mix and match and connect um, <clears throat> these sorts of apps to sort of get get more done at work and automate sort of the, the tedious tasks. Um, you know, I, I sort of like to... Uh, preface it by saying, you know, if you find yourself like often copying and pasting, you know, data or information from like one tool to another, uh, that's a usually a pretty good tell that like Zapier could probably do some work for you. <laughs> um, there's a lot of other things that Zapier does. And, you know, one of the hardest things about Zapier is the fact that it is so customizable. It really is sort of a, 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 a product that folks can build with um, that sort of learning how it works is sort of a, as part of the journey of folks sort of getting a lot of value out of the product. Um, and, you know, when we first started the company, uh, sort of the genesis of it was over a decade ago. Um, Brian Wade and I, the three co-founders, uh, we met in college, uh, University of Missouri, uh, Go Tigers, and um, all three of us had been sort of freelancing and doing sort of web consulting on the side, either as a part-time job or full-time job. And all of us were sort of working with these, uh, what were, you know, new at the time, sort of new at the time, uh, web APIs, these REST APIs that... Um, software sort of vendors were, were putting out in the world, primarily in sort of the B2B space. So you think about tools like, you know, Gmail or Salesforce or Evernote or Twitter or LinkedIn. Pretty much anything that um, has a cloud-based component to it, right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that's a pretty important qualification. You know, Zapier generally works with cloud software today, which, you know, is the way the world's sort of heading. Um, and I think that's why a big, you know, aspect of our growth over the last decade is as, you know, best in breed softwares continue to win, there's more and more demand for this sort of types of interoperability. Um, but in the early days, you know, these were relatively new and <clears throat> we just sort of saw um, this pattern where we were like implementing the same things over and over with these uh, REST APIs for our like clients just one off. And I think Brian was the one who pitched away the original sort of idea of uh, like, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we could just like sort of build a nice interface layer and just do this stuff and let, you know, actually give that tool to our clients. And uh, so we got together at a startup weekend. It was Columbia, Missouri's first ever startup weekend back in 2011. 
and uh, hacked on the idea, prototyped it, ended up um, sort of winning during that weekend. And uh, unlike most companies at Startup Weekend, we kept working on it on Monday, Monday morning uh, <laughs> and just kept going and uh, sort of uh, have had, you know, all the sort of, um, you know, momentum and success uh, since that point. Now you say you say business, but I have to I have to tell you that you're you're wrong there. I know that you I mean you you have the data. You know that it's primarily business, but I mean uh, on an individual basis, uh, I you know uh, for example, I've got a TV show. They post a TV show on YouTube, and I automate the fact that when that TV show is posted on YouTube, it automatically gets put on my Twitter feed. You know that's a minor minor detail that saved me probably about fifteen to twenty minutes of my life. You know, and yep. that's not necessarily a business tool. That could be somewhat an individual. But I guess everybody these days is is almost a business, whether you're a content creator or whatnot. You are kind of a business. But your tool really, mm-hmm. it really automates, you know, uh, connecting point A to B that didn't have a connection beforehand. And that's what I tell people when, when I say I'm going to use Zapier. And they're going to say, what, what, what do you mean? What are you going to do with this? And I ex- try to explain it to them. And I give them the best examples, which is probably my list of, you know, 40 different zaps that I use. And they get it. Eventually they get it. Oh, I can connect point A to B. I've got a form and I want this form to end up in a spreadsheet. Okay, I can make that happen now. And as you said, yep. you know, you guys started this, you said 2012, right? Yeah, that's right. Yep. 2012. That was kind of just on the cusp of everything going to the cloud, right? So you were really ahead of the game and really well positioned for this push that the pandemic has given us and the, everything else. How did other people, because you rely on third parties to integrate mm-hmm. to them, how did they re- respond to this? Or did they even have to because a lot of companies make their APIs public? Yeah, so uh, there's sort of an interesting, um, you know, like mathematical foundation of Zapier's platform, which uh, is, you know, every it's sort of designed as a hub and spoke. So every sort of new app that gets added into the platform, you know, um, adds n squared number of like use cases that sort of get enabled from it. And this was a fact that a lot of our partners, these companies that, um, you know, we hook into their APIs, they actually wanted something like Zapier to exist because uh, you'd go and look at, and we actually did this. This was one of the things we did during that sort of initial startup weekend was go look online and see, is this actually something people care about and want? And we saw, you know, com- like blogs, forum posts, you know, stack overflow that are like, you know, 10 replies deep where users were sort of begging for this interoperability. Like, Hey, I want these two pieces of software to play better together. And, you know, as a, as sort of a, a software vendor yourself, you know, you sit in the seat and you look at all these requests your users are asking you and you you, prior, you have to prioritize, you know, you've limited set of time and you might go build, you know, the top one, two or three most sort of requested integrations, but there's just no way you're ever going to build out, you know, the, the 250th, the 1000th integration that your users are asking for. It's just not worth it. There's just not enough people in the world for that to sort of make sense from, from a business standpoint. And I think our sort of observation was, yeah, that's true for any individual vendor, but if we could sort of build a platform that allowed that to happen at scale, like, you know, if we could sort of provide that value for every single player in the entire, you know, the entire cloud software industry, that could actually be a real business. And I think that's one of the things that we've sort of seen over the last decade. Was there one relationship or one company that you guys brought onto the platform that really kind of jump-started the notoriety of, of, of Zapier and really like we're, I'm sure you saw, you know, you know, incremental growth, but was there one service that you added on and suddenly it went, Oh my God, look at how many different use cases have just skyrocketed. Um, you know, in the early days we, we built, we, we, we individual like in-house Zapier full-time employers or, you know, the, the, the three co-founders, we were building the first integrations. Um, when we launched Zapier in 2012, I think we had maybe 50 or 60 
on the platform at that point. Now today we have over 4,000. <laughs> and, you know, since then, obviously we've uh, found ways to like scale that through, you know, partners contributing and building their own integrations on sort of the platform. Um, you know, I, I would say there wasn't any one sort of app that, you know, created an inflection point. I do think that there was some, so, there were sort of, sort of some interesting early trends though. Like we saw Slack's growth take off on our platform before I think sort of the industry did. <laughs> um, you know, we could see the week over week usage growth around integrations and interoperability. People were trying to hook into Slack um, before all their sort of fundraising stuff came out. So, so there are definitely examples like that where, um, you know, we've been able to sort of, you know, ride alongside these like major platforms that are getting built and scaled and grow growing. Um, but, you know, in my mind, I sort of think like, if you believe in a world where best in breed software keeps winning, which sort of seems like that's going to continue to be true, where like the costs for creating software keep going down and down, um, you know, interoperability is always going to be something people demand and want. And I think that's why Zapier sort of always has a place, even as sort of, you know, software, like the, the, whatever software is in vogue in the given year sort of comes and goes. Yeah. Um, the, you know, one of the things that really kind of sets you guys apart from any other way of connecting applications really at the end of the day is the user interface. It's really the ease of which you've made it. You know, you choose, I want to start with this app, so I'll use my example of YouTube, and I want it to end up on my blog, let's say on my WordPress blog. You choose the two platforms and then immediately are presented with the options in which you can connect. Um, from a developer standpoint, if I did not have developer experience, um, I would, I would, and if this didn't exist, I'd be completely gone. I would have to go out there and hire someone and pay lots of money for someone to make an integration that you guys have really simplified the the front end user interface of. How important was that aspect of it? Because you really have turned people who are mm -hmm. not traditionally developers into developers. Yeah, uh, there's. Uh, I was looking at some data actually the last couple of weeks. Uh, so there's about a billion knowledge workers globally now in the world, and uh, the number of software engineers is about thirty million. And that software engineering uh, sort of job category, best I can tell, is growing maybe five to seven percent, sort of year over year. And uh, you know, Zapier, we've got several million people who are using Zapier, and we are growing at a considerably higher growth rate than the category of software engineers is. And I think if you play out that trend over a decade, you know, I think what sort of companies like Air, uh, Zapier are sort of showing is like there actually is this new sort of job in the world that is getting defined. Um, you know, I, I've sort of uh, thought of them as sort of software builders. And to your point, I think one of the reasons why, you know, that is even possible or plausible for more people to be able to be, you know, get the value and the leverage that, you know, typically software engineers would get is because the sort of product is easier to use than it is to sort of learn how to code and program and host that code and hook it into like APIs. Zapier abstracts all that stuff away so that you really just get to focus on like what 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 do I actually want the thing to do um, and make it easier to actually build and sort of set up that that thing. Um, and I think that that is definitely one of the contributing factors over the last decade for why Zapier's sort of found a, a spot in the world. Um, you know, like this integration software is not new, like interoperability is not new. This is not something we invented in 2011. You've just uh, made it easier. You've made for... it easier and attainable by yeah. anybody without that experience level. And, you know, and the fact that you have a free tier um, and very affordable entry level tiers, and I'm sure this goes all the way up to the enterprise level, really makes it extremely accessible to everybody. And I think that's what's really cool about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, I mean, that's. Very true. You know, if you look at what companies sort of existed in the integration space before Zapier, you know, um, 
you know, they were all serving enterprise. That was it. You had to be an engineer. You had to be an IT leader, an engineering leader to be able to sort of deploy that integration or automation software at your job. And as a result, the cost was like matched up with it. You know, it was tens of thousands of dollars a month to be able to do that. And, you know, I think that that, so, you know, the ease of use along with sort of a, a, a you know, consumer prosumer friendly pricing model, um, I think both have driven the adoption of automation more in the hands of individual people rather than sort of, you know, businesses. Now, you know, and, and I hate to bring up competitors, but I think we live in a reality here where we know that other people exist. Um, when a company like Microsoft releases something like Flow, which I've tried to use, but quite honestly <laughs> has not been, again, as easy yep. to understand and use as Zapier has been. Do you do you feel threatened by that or more of a compliment that they're trying? <laughs> um, you know, I, like generally, like I think my, my true emotion is... Um, like excitement that more people are waking up and seeing the value of automation. Like, Hey, Hey, the reason we got started was we wanted to put this, the leverage of software in more people's hands. So the yeah. fact that more people are sort of observing that and we've been able to sort of accelerate that trend, I think is a really positive thing. Um, I, I just saw some data last week that like a third of job seekers are now listing sort of automation on resumes, yeah. which is just, that's, that's an awesome thing. Um, you know, and, um, you know, I think there is one advantage I think Zapier sort of has in, in this player where we are completely independent. So, you know, if you look at sort of the solutions that, you know, might come from, you know, any other of the big software vendors or players that have their own platforms and their yeah, own sort of businesses, yeah. they're not really incentivized to play well with players outside that ecosystem. Yeah. They're, they're sort of incentivized to keep users in their own ecosystem yeah. because that's, you know, how they make money. Um, whereas Zapier you know, we're completely independent. We only want what's best for the user. If you want to use a Microsoft product, if you want to use a Salesforce product, if you want to use a Google product, we don't care. We just want the like use case to, to work really well for you. Um, so we, we sort of show up in that relationship as sort of, you know, on the user's behalf, whatever they want to do is what we want to deliver to them. No, that's a great mindset. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And you made a good point, which is, you know, they're, they're after their own, their existing user base and they're trying to make things easier for them. But I think at the end of the day, even uh, having tried other other products, I'm always back back where I started. I, I keep forgetting that the whole one of the whole prefaces of this this conversation is the fact that you guys have been virtual you, the entirety of your existence. I mean, yeah, another weird thing about Zapier. <laughs> well, and, and you know what? And I knew about this again, because many years ago um, in previous lives, like I started in radio, I left radio for a while. And I dabbled in, in web design and multimedia production. I remember seeing that that we're hiring, uh, everything's virtual at the top of the page. And I remember looking at it going, this would be you know, a cool opportunity for anybody who's looking to, to work for a really cool company. Why, why not have a headquarters? Why is it just something that's kind of happened? Like who cares where people are? Yeah. I mean, so in the early days, Brian Wade and I were working just remotely back in Columbia, Missouri from, you know, home apartments. I was still a full-time student for a while. So I was on campus. And when we, um, after uh, that startup weekend, we kept working on Zapier and um, eventually got accepted into Y Combinator, a startup accelerator out in California. That's what moved the three of us out to California for summer, which uh, is the one and only time the entire company has ever been under one roof. We were had a two bedroom apartment uh, with three of us. You can uh, use your imagination of how that worked out. Uh, in Sunnyvale, California. And then after that summer was over, um, my uh, girlfriend and my wife was finishing law school back in Missouri. So I was flying back and forth every two weeks. And this was around the time when we wanted to start hiring to bring more people into the organization to help us sort of grow, you know, the product and the platform. And the we, we didn't have any networks really in the Bay Area. Like we sort of, uh, you know, the folks we knew um, were in the back in the Midwest. They were spread around the United States. So for the first several folks, we just sort of said, well, like we were already working remotely 
before, you know, we moved out to California and the people we want to hire are not in California anyway. And, you know, I'm already flying back and forth all the time. So why don't we just try it? And, you know, I, by the time we got to maybe nine or 10 people, um, you know, I think some, all, all the sort of like metrics you would care about um, from like running a business and growing a team, you know, is the team happy? Is, are we growing? Are we making money? Are customers happy? Um, you know, yes, 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 yes. And all, all of those. And that sort of gave us the confidence to say, you know, Hey, let's like keep going. And, you know, I don't think it was much further when we realized, you know, actually this isn't, oh, this isn't actually holding us back. This is actually enabling our success because we were able to sort of tap into global talent that, um, we wouldn't have otherwise been able to with, you know, being, you know, centered in sort of a geographic location in the U S how many employees do you have now and how spread out are you? Uh, we've got over 500 people, um, you know, about, uh, let's see, I think 30, almost 40 countries now, 40 states in the United States, 18 time zones. Um, so yeah, very, very distributed team. I, I mean, what's the hiring process like? Do you, do you do virtual interviews and have conversations with people? Is it a long <laughs> process or is it something that's a little bit more, I guess we do. For, I think for the first maybe 10 people, we actually flew everyone out to meet okay. them in person for a final interview. Very quickly, we realized that is not worth it. Yeah, that's not cost <laughs> effective. So we've had a completely virtual hiring process ever since then. You know, we we make, you know, offers completely remotely over, you know, video conferencing, um, you know, DocuSign, you can sign legal documents virtually. Uh, sort of everything is completely touchless. Um, we even had a, for a, a while in Zapier, we were doing this thing called Airbnb onboarding, uh, which was this idea of bringing cohorts of new people that were joining the company out to the Bay Area and doing usually like a couple of days um, in person with them to sort of onboard. And about a couple of years ago, we even switched that to be completely virtual and remote as well. Now we've got sort of a two week intensive onboarding training sort of course that everyone goes through and uh, that's completely virtual. And we've even the sort of internal sort of metrics we've looked at around success for new teammates has gone even up since that. So, um, you know, I, I think that's even a sign of, you know, you can definitely run a company fully virtual these days, well, including that, but, hiring and onboarding. Yeah. I think that you're also the type of people that you get. I mean, um, people who want to work from home, I think prior to the pandemic, you know, so there were, you, you had all kinds of people, you had outgoing people, introverts, et cetera, et cetera. And you're really not being prejudiced to any of that stuff because it doesn't matter at the end of the day, you know, the, you, sure. They may not be great in the social, you know, environment, but who cares? You know, it's about what the work they do at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, one of the things I always had told folks, um, maybe a little less relevant during the last couple of years of uh, COVID, but uh, up until then, you know, is, Hey, like, you know, one of the things you should know about taking a fully remote job is, you know, you're not going to get that in-person connection that you normally would from, you know, an office job. So you got to find, you have to be intentional about that, you know, whether that's, you know, family or local friends or, you know, a sporting group or a religious association or, or whatever it is, you know, you got to be intentional about sort of creating that. Otherwise you're not going to be happy in a year from now. Um, and that's been generally pretty good advice, I think. And, you know, it's just the sort of, that's just one of the facts of working in a fully remote company is, you know, you, you do have to find ways to complement that stuff. I'm sure you have friends who who do have companies that, you know, uh, with lots of people in person. Did you find anybody picking up the phone and calling you in the pandemic and saying, how am I going to deal with it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, uh, for the first couple of months, we put out a ton of like blog posts and videos and like how we work remote. You know, our mindset was just sort of like, okay, we've been doing this for, I think, what, seven, eight years at that point. Like, can we just give back, you know, knowing that the entire world is trying to like figure out how to go digital overnight, basically. Um, and so we, we ended up doing like, uh, you know, a bunch of like, uh, you know, uh, conference like tracks and talks and, you know, did some likes, uh, 
group like sessions with a bunch of other founders and sort of that were, cause we were, we weren't the only people that had sort of gone remote. Um, you know, it was more of a growing trend at that point yeah. and, uh, just trying to like share our learnings around like how, how we sort of found success in doing it. Do you think companies that, you know, that have now made this switch, um, are going to rush back to go back to in-person or you think that they've realized the benefits of it? Man, it's always hard to predict the future. Yeah. Um, you know, I do think that something has changed, uh, you know, but even before the pandemic, we still got folks that were like skeptical of our model. <laughs> um, like e- even up until 20, you know, 19 folks were, you know, come to Zapier and say, Oh, when are you going to grow up and get an office? When are you going <laughs> to finally get an office? When are you going to, you know, almost as this like, yeah, it's your teenage phase, but like, you'll eventually sort of figure out how to be sort of grownups. And, you know, I think what the pandemic has shown is actually know that there, there is a successful way to run businesses in this model. And that's not, that genie's not going back to the model. Um, now like are folks going to start returning to the office? I, I do think so. I do think that there are sort of benefits of getting in person. In fact, we do two full company retreats per year where, you know, we try to get everyone in the organization together to build those connections. Yeah. You know, that is one of the harder parts about being fully virtual is, is building sort of the connections across the organization. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that that sort of, um, mindset of, you know, can, can remote even work in the first place that that's been proven wrong. Yeah, that needs to go out the window. I mean, even on my side in broadcasting, it's been a challenge every single year, you know, trying to tell people why am I here when everything is in Toronto or vice versa. Um, Mike, what's what's the future hold for you guys? I mean, you know, it's you've built a model that is just going to constantly grow, and whether it's a user base or whether it's connections, um, does it does it still keep you excited? Do you still enjoy the job at you know day in day out? Yeah, you know, um, it's funny when when we started Zapier, I sort of I always had this perception of Zapier as, you know, B2B productivity software, you know, f- fun, but sort sort of like, um, you know, behind the scenes, right? And uh, very pragmatic in the value, you know, hey, I'm going to charge you a dollar, going to give you sort of some efficiency gains, and we're going to go about our lives. And uh, a couple of years in, started seeing sort of an interesting thing happen where like folks would come up to us at these like, you know, user conferences, we go to our partner, partner conferences, and you know, people would run off to us our Zapri t-shirts on and like high five us and like throw us up on their shoulders. And it was just like this unusual amount of like fanaticism for the product that I didn't expect because I just sort of assumed it was more you know, boring productivity software. And you really dig into it. And, you know, the, the way that those folks don't like would describe Zapier is less in the terms of like efficiency, time saving. Certainly those are reasons why people do use Zapier today. But what it really came down to was more of like an enablement tool. It, it felt like a superpower or like some kind of like new skill set that they like had unlocked that they could go bring forth into the world. And, um, you know, that, that was such a cool feeling. We see this all the time on social media where folks, you know, are like tweeting, you know, Hulk pictures of the Hulk and like how I feel using Zapier. And, <laughs> you know, I think it's just an unequivocally good future to give more individual people that feeling um, and that leverage in the world. Um, you know, that's, that is the like, power of software. That's what these 30 million, you know, software engineers get. Why can't an order of magnitude more people in the world sort of experience that leverage? And that's sort of, sort of our vision. So, you know, I sit here from the position of, you know, a decade in, you know, Hey, I think we've had a lot of success. We've gotten millions of people who've directly benefited from, from, and gotten that leverage. But when I think about sort of our mission about trying to make automation work for everyone, you know, I, I sort of think we're still very much in the early innings and, you know, success starts at tens of millions of people plus getting value from this stuff. Um, so still got a long ways to go. And uh, yeah, but I think pretty, pretty exciting progress to date. Definitely. Uh, Mike, I thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Great to have a chat with you. I cannot wait to talk to you again, talk about some more successes and uh, geek out a bit more on the services. 
Thanks, Mark. You've been tuned in to Your Tech Report. Be sure to follow Your Tech Report online. Email us, contact at yourtechreport.com. Follow us on Twitter at Your Tech Report. Like us on facebook.com slash yourtechreport. For the latest in breaking tech news and reviews, yourtechreport.com. Hi, I'm Mercedes Nickel, four-time Winter Olympian and host of Dropping In, a podcast with Mercedes. This is a podcast where I interview a bunch of different people. I get the good, the bad, and the ugly, as well as I share my stories along the way. Now you can drop in at droppingin.com or subscribe on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. I'll see you soon. Do, did, Will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holowaty from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network.